I want to talk to you about something today I've never preached on quite this way, but I'm going to start a, a Christmas series today. Can you believe we're there? I'm going to start a Christmas series today, and I'm going to take four weeks to deal with this. I want to call it, I'm going to call the series, Have a Merry, M-A-R-Y, Christmas. Have a Merry Christmas. Can you turn to your neighbor and tell them that? Have a Merry. I want you to have a Merry Christmas. Now, what do I mean by that, a Merry Christmas? Well, Merry, well, let me, let me just read the passage and I'll talk to you about this in just a moment. Luke one twenty six. in the sixth month, here's the miracle of Christmas. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Now the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now there is a shocker. And what does she do? It says, Mary was, read it with me, everyone, greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Notice the words troubled that I have underlined and afraid. All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you that the Christmas story is based on a miracle. And Lord, the miracle is that you moved on this young teenage girl, and that which was conceived in her was of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Lord, that Mary experienced several miracles in rapid succession as soon as she was visited this way. Help us, Lord, help this church and all listening by radio to have a merry Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll turn to your neighbor and tell them that one more time. Have a merry Christmas. It's Christmas time. It's hard to believe. And before I get into this, let me remind you that Tuesday morning we're having Tuesday morning prayer. And if you'll notice the bulletin, I got pretty strong in the to the point little deal I write every week. And um, I'm very burdened about our country. Our country needs prayer going up like never before in our history. And I want to encourage you, get up, greet the sunrise, and come to early morning prayer on Tuesday morning because we're praying for the country. We're praying for many things that need to take place. And I really believe the only answer for our land is prayer. There isn't any other answer. I'm going to say that again, church. And I'm not chasing a rabbit here. I'm going to go into this message, but I want... I want to be clear, the only hope for America is prayer. But that's a powerful hope. And I believe the tide can be turned if God's people will pray. So read what I wrote in the bulletin and let's get on now with this message. Now, I want you to notice that based on the two words, troubled and afraid, when Mary is visited by this angel, we know from those two words that she was disturbed, she was alarmed. And the, the word fear that is used here in this passage is phobos. And it, it's a powerful, paralyzing kind of fear. She was actually terrified at the angel's visit. She was terrified. Here's a little teenage girl. And all of a sudden, this mighty archangel, not just any angel, Gabriel, appears to her personally and begins to speak to her. So much for these people who say, well, I saw an angel and we had a little dance. 
You don't have a little dance with an angel. If a real angel appears to you, you are on your face. And so in the next few weeks, here's what I want to deal with. I want to talk about four fears that Mary had to overcome in order to receive the miracle that God had for her life. Now, as God had a miracle for her life, God has a miracle for your life. She was going to receive within her something that was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And you, having been born again, have also had a divine conception happen in you. You have received a new nature. You have been born again. And God has an ongoing miracle for your life. But you know what can stop that miracle? Fear. And God has not given you and me a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. So I see that Mary dealt with four fears, and here they are. And I'm going to call this the miracle that Mary experienced. And that's when I say have a Merry Christmas, I want you to have a Christmas, a season, where God delivers you from fear. God delivers you from worry. God delivers you from anxiety and angst. And you walk in the peace of God. Here's what she was delivered of. The fear of the supernatural was the first one. What is going to happen to me? The fear of the supernatural. What is going to happen to me? Second fear, the fear of inadequacy. Am I going to be able to do this? Can I do this? You ever felt that way? Third fear, the fear of change. Will my life ever be the same? And her life wasn't, and yours won't either. But the fear of change is real. Fourth one, the fear of public opinion. What are the people going to say? What are the people going to say? Here's the four fears again, the fear of the supernatural, fear of inadequacy, the fear of change, and the fear of public opinion. Now, let me take the first one today, the fear of the supernatural. Think about it for just a moment. Now, by supernatural, here's what we mean. We mean phenomena that cannot be explained by natural law. That's what the supernatural is. Phenomena that cannot be explained by natural law. Now, there are some people who say there's no such thing as the supernatural. But the Bible says there is very much a supernatural world, a fourth dimension. The supernatural world is the world that exists beyond our five senses. You can't see it, hear it, touch it, smell it, taste it, but it's there. It's the world, the Bible says, of spirits a world of spirit beings. Jesus said, for instance, that our God, the God we just worship today, is a spirit, pneuma, a spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So God is a spirit. The Bible teaches us that the eternal world of the supernatural is not only real, but it reaches out, it crosses over, and it touches people. Now, if you don't believe that, I want you to hear what the Bible has to say about it. Let me be clear. What you cannot see doesn't mean it's not there. There is a world of spirits. God dwells in that world. The angels dwell in that world. The Holy Spirit dwells in that world. Demon spirits dwell in that world. There is a supernatural fourth dimension. And that's what the Bible teaches. And Jesus Christ 
said it and dealt with that world all the time. For instance, Paul the Apostle says in Ephesians 6, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirit beings in the heavenly places. So there Paul is saying they're there. And we wage war against them and they wage war against us. It's a battle. So we're in a battle with unseen supernatural forces that the Bible says seek our destruction. But the Bible also reveals that good supernatural forces interact with us. They are there and they interact with us. This would primarily consist of the angels of God and of the Holy Spirit himself. Listen to what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit who you cannot see. Jesus said, you can't see him. He's like the wind. You can't see the wind. You can only see what it does. You can't see the wind, but you see the trees moving because of an unseen but real force. Jesus said, unless I go away, the counselor, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world. Now, there he's saying that the unseen world is going to mess with your stuff. The unseen world is going to convict your heart of guilt in regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. So here you've got an unseen world that is pricking my conscience, dealing with me about the issue of sin. Jesus is seen in Revelations entering our personal space and literally knocking on the door of our hearts. Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. I seek entrance. I gain entrance. And if you hear my voice and open your will to me, I will come into you and fellowship with you and you with me. That's the unseen world coming into your space and asking for access. A quick scan of the Bible reveals multitudes of times when angels involve themselves in the lives of God's people over and over again by guiding them, delivering them from danger, sustaining them in trials, providing for them as the angel provided Elijah a meal as he sat under the juniper tree and wanted to give up and die. An angel came and gave him a meal, the original angel food cake. <clears throat> Hebrew says concerning the angels, listen to what the Bible says about the angels, are not all angels ministering spirits, unseen spirits, sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. I think one of the things we're going to realize when we get to heaven is how many times we had a close call and an angel delivered us, protected us, guided us, and saved us from certain tragedy. <clears throat> and so those of you who are naturalists and don't believe in the supernatural, let me just tell you, you believe in the wind that you cannot see, but you see an unseen wind blow a seen tree you see an unseen wind wreak great destruction. And the Holy Spirit is like the wind. You don't know where he's coming from or where he goes. So is everybody born of the Holy Spirit. Suddenly, somebody who was lost in sin and living like hell is delivered and changed and saved. What did that? The wind blew. The Holy Ghost touched their life. Every Saturday night, I say, Oh, Holy Spirit, visit this service tomorrow come in there, walk up and down among the aisles and visit us as a people. We need the touch of the unseen Holy Spirit of the living God. I, we need Him. Now, even though the unseen world 
interacts with the seen world, here's what I see in the Bible. When these encounters with the supernatural take place, there is very often a fear that grips the person experiencing the visitation. They become afraid of the supernatural. And some of you here today, you have not given your life to God because you're afraid of the supernatural. Some of you listening by radio, you've never yielded your will to God because you're afraid of the supernatural. Daniel, the Bible says, was terrified and fell prostrate at the visitation of an angel. When Jesus went to the town of Gadara, one of the greatest examples, he encountered a horribly demon-possessed man. You know the story. The man fell before Jesus with demons crying out of him. Unseen spirits had bound him, chained him, and through him had terrorized and terrified and paralyzed an entire town in fear. But Jesus commanded the spirits to leave. And the Bible says they came out. And the Bible goes on to say all the people in the region of the Gergesenes begged Jesus. They prayed the saddest prayer in the Bible. When they were told what had happened, they begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone. For a great wave of fear swept over them. What were they afraid of? The supernatural. They were afraid of the supernatural power of God. They could not believe that this, this demonia, they'd have rather had him crazy and possessed than set free and sane. And some people are that way. They'd rather you continue in your insanity than that you give a testimony for God. <clears throat> now going back to Mary, this young teenage girl just going through the normal motions of life, getting ready for the biggest day of her life, preparing for her wedding is suddenly visited by a mighty archangel of God. They are huge. They are bright. They shine. Their presence makes a person quake. And the Bible says that he said to her something incomprehensibly stunning and mind-boggling. You, young lady, have been chosen to bring forth the Christ child. And something is going to be conceived in you that is of the Holy Ghost. And it will be the Messiah prophesied of old. Tells this to a little teenage girl. What was her first response? Fear of the supernatural. Now, I believe when it's the fear of the supernatural, it can be rooted in a question. The fear of the supernatural is rooted really in one question. What is going to happen to me? What is going to happen to me? I want you to think back when God first started knocking on the door of your heart, when he first began to deal with you, and you knew that God was talking to you and that God was laying the cards on the table and saying, you're going to have to give your life to me. It's time. I want to change you. I am speaking to you. I am approaching you. I am entering your space, and I've got some things I want to do in your life. And the first thing you think of is, what's going to happen to me? What will he require if I respond to him, will I lose control of my life? Uh, where is he going to send me? That's a big one. And what will I become? Am I going to become something I don't want to be? What, what, what is God going to do to me? Now, I can tell you, when God first began to deal with me, uh, I had a fear of the supernatural. That is, the approach of God. As God approached me to, to change my life and, and to enter my space and to talk to me about things, a fear rose up in me. I, I was afraid of what he might do to me. And let me just tell you what I mean by that. Um, what he might cause me to become. The first thing I pictured was me with my hair all cut, in a suit, walking around with a black Bible. Now look at me. 
<laughs> now here we stand. <clears throat> can you believe that one of my biggest fears was, is he going to make me wear a suit? And how many of you can tell I overcame that fear? Now, but, but, but I was afraid of what he was going to do to me. What is God going to do to me if I come to him? This, this entering of my space by the Spirit of God talking to me, it caused a fear of the supernatural. Would I become something I didn't want to be? That was really a fear of mine. And, and, and even worst of all, was he going to call me to some dark corner of Africa and make me be a missionary? And would he change me in a way that I was not comfortable with? Was I going to be a Bible-thumper, religious freak, and not be the kind of person that I wanted to be? I had a fear of the supernatural based on ignorance. Now, what I found out was that my fears, like Mary's fears, were totally unfounded. And let me tell you what I discovered and what I know Mary discovered, and I can bring out one passage to answer the question, what will he do to me? What's he going to do to me if I yield my life to him? What is going to become of me? What is God going to do with me if I yield to this knock on the door of my heart? What is God going to do? I want to share with you my favorite Bible verse. Now, this one, in, in most of the books that I sign, I write this verse at the bottom. It's my favorite verse. I've got it in my office, and this verse has pulled me out of despair at least a couple of times in my life, it has become an anchor verse for my soul. And it answers the question, what is he going to do to me if I yield to this invasion of my space by Almighty God? It's Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord. They are plans for good, plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and to give you a hope. What an incredible passage. I want you to remember that. I want you to remember that verse. I know the plans. I know the thoughts. I'm thinking towards you. Thoughts that are good and not evil to give you a future and to put hope in your life. See, when the supernatural approaches, and we're afraid of the supernatural, can I tell you, sir, can I tell you, ma'am, those of you that are here right now and those of you by radio, listen carefully to me. If you've got a fear of God that is inordinate, that keeps you away from Him, I want you to hear it again. I know the thoughts I'm thinking towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of good and not of evil. To give you a future for your life and a hope. And it's better than anything you could come up with if you were left on earth a thousand years. You could not beat God's plan for your life. Now, let me just dissect this verse. This is what Mary found out. This is what I found out. Think about this. The first thing the verse tells us is God is thinking about us all the time. God is thinking about you all the time. You are on his mind. Now, that may be the greatest thought that ever crosses your thoughts. That may, may be the greatest statement you have ever heard. And I want you to remember it today, that God is thinking about you. He knows your name, your address, when you were born, when you will die, your DNA makeup, your chromosomes, your genetic code. He knows your personality. He knows your likes and your dislikes. He knows every atom of your being, and you are on his mind. He's thinking about you. I want you to say with me, the God of the universe 
is thinking about me. Now, let's talk about how that's different from you because we forget each other all the time. We forget birthdays. We forget anniversaries. We forget graduations. We forget Valentine's Day and Mother's Day slip up on us, and we forget. I've got, a, I've got three sisters, the middle one who I love. I always get my birthday card from her about two weeks late, and it's always an apologetic card that says, oops, because she always forgets. And so I've just learned to say, well, uh, June's car didn't hear yet, but it'll be here in a few weeks when she remembers. Right now, she has forgotten me. But you know, who am I to talk? Because more than often, I, more than a few times, more than, than I want to confess to you today, I've awakened early in the morning and realized, uh-oh, on a special day like Mother's Day, and I've had to race up to the drugstore for a card and a gift early in the morning. And you know what I find there? A bunch of other guys who are there for the same reason as me. And we're all looking, and we're all kind of looking at each other with that knowing glance like, yep, I understand you would never be here at 6 in the morning if you hadn't forgotten. We forget, and that's why we've got day timers and pocket calendars and message programs that send us reminders because we will forget each other, even those closest to us. But can I tell you today, God never forgets you. When you woke up this morning, God was thinking about you. As you sit there right now, God is thinking about you. And you know what? Jesus Christ is interceding for you right now. The Bible says he's ever living to make intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So not only is God thinking about you, but Jesus is praying for you right now by name. He says, I know my sheep by name, and they know my voice, and they come to me, and they respond to me. You're not only on God's mind, but his son is praying for you. He's praying for things you don't even know you need. He's lifting you up by name. He's calling you out before God. And many of the things that happen in your life that you didn't think to pray for, but they come your way anyway, come because he prayed for you. Now, God is thinking about you always. You know, marriage counselors tell us that one of the keys to keeping the river of affection flowing in a marriage is call your spouse unexpectedly and say these words, I was just thinking about you. I was just thinking about you. Well, what are you calling for? Oh, no reason. I was just thinking about you. Have you ever noticed how that blesses you? Well, you know what? God has sent us a card, 66 books. And you know what this is telling us? I was just thinking about you. You see that cross on the hill? That cross on Calvary's hill? Poking up towards heaven, towards God one way, stretched out across humanity the other way? You know what that cross says? You're on my mind. Your sin, your predicament, your lost condition, the tragedy of the fall, you're on my mind. And because you're on my mind, I've sent my only begotten son to die for you, to rise from the dead so that your sins can be washed away and you can be redeemed. I have inscribed you, Isaiah said, on the very palms of my hand. God has tattooed his hand with your name. So he's thinking about you. And don't ever doubt it. Now the second thing this verse lets us know is, not only is he thinking about you, but the thoughts he's thinking are good thoughts. They are for good. They are for good. That's why the Bible says in Romans 8, 28, listen carefully to this. 
He makes everything work together for what? Bad? No. For the good of those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. See, he says, everything God does in your life is for the good because his thoughts towards you are good. His thoughts towards you are good. Now, when I was a kid, I got in trouble in school a lot. And I'll never forget, the most horrifying statement anybody can make to me is, the principal wants you in the office. You know what I knew? That is not for my good. <laughs> that is not. Now, that was before it was against the law to spank a child. And I can remember my, the, my principal had a paddle. And you would hear it coming out of that drawer, wood knocking up against steel. And I knew that this was not good. How many of you know what I'm talking about now? I knew it was not good. And so when I got the call to the principal's office, I immediately feared something bad happening to me. And you know what? My expectations never let me down. But when God calls your name, it is for good. It's because he's got good things on his mind for you. It says, my thoughts to you are good and not of evil. When I think about you, I think of good things. When I think about you, I think of the good that I want to do. My thoughts towards you are always benevolent. They are always good. They are always for your good. They are always for your destiny. They are on your behalf. He is never against you. That's why the Bible says, if God be for us, who can be against us? See, God is for you. And just recently, I had somebody, I was counseling with somebody, and they said to me, you know, I did so many things in the past. It's real hard for me to feel that God is for me. It's really difficult for me to believe that God wants good for me. I sort of feel like I ought to be punished the rest of my life. And I said, you know what? That's not the Lord. Because when the blood covers sin, when the blood washes sin away, then God doesn't see you any longer according to your past. Our God is not a rearview mirror God. God has red sunglasses on. He wears red shades. They are red tinted. And that he sees you only through the blood. He's, he wears S-O-N glasses, sun glasses. And he only sees you through the shed blood. And you know what? We talk all the time about being convicted for our sin. But let me ask you, have you ever been convicted of your righteousness? Have you ever been convicted of the fact, convinced of the fact, that God really has forgiven you and you don't have to pay penance. You don't have to live with your head hanging low. You don't have to live with your shoulders tucked down and staring at the ground. But you can hold your head high because you are a forgiven child of the living God. He sees you through the blood. Through the blood. And as soon as you're saved, all the good that God had in mind for you comes into play. And he makes everything work together for the good of those who love God. So I not only know that he's thinking about me, but I know what he's thinking. He's thinking good things. Thoughts of good and not of evil. Listen to some other translations. I had to read these to you. They're so good. Plans for welfare and not for evil. Another version, plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans for good and not for disaster. Plans for well-being and not for trouble. That's our God. He's called you to his purpose. And everything that happens in your life, 
good, bad, or ugly. He's going to work it together for your good, for your good, for your good. The devil may attack you, but he will never checkmate God. The devil may attack you. You may sin. You may blow it. That's what this verse was for. Israel was being led into Babylonian captivity. They were going to be in another land for 70 years. And as they're being walked away in chains, children starving, seemingly no future and no hope, Jeremiah gave them this passage. I know the thoughts I'm thinking about you. Thoughts of good and not of evil. To give you a future and to give you a hope. Yeah, you messed up. Yeah, you messed up badly. But I'm for you. And you're going to walk through this valley of chastening. You're going to come out on the other side. And I'm going to make it work together for your good. This is not going to take you down. You're not going down. You're going through. This is not the end. This is the beginning. This is not curtains. This is just another stage in my dealings with you. I'm going to carry you through to the other side and you're going to glorify me. And 70 years later, they were released to go back to their own homeland. They rebuilt the wall, rebuilt the temple, rebuilt the city, and God restored them. It was not over until God has had his say. So what is God going to do to you if you receive the knock of the supernatural on your life? He's thinking about you all the time and thinking about you for good. The God whose plans are good can do none other than good things. Jesus said it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus said he will give good things to those who ask him. It doesn't mean you're not going to have troubles. It doesn't mean you're not going to have trials. You will. But it means that no matter what you go through, he's going to work it for your good. So the next time the devil comes to you when you're down and you can't see a future and everything has gone wrong and nothing is making sense and it looks like God is nowhere to be found and Satan hops on your shoulder and says, look at this, God is not for you. You need to answer him this way, not of evil. Not of evil, but of good. Not of evil, but of good. Not of evil, but of good. My God has no evil intent towards me, but only good. He's going to break through for me, and I will praise His name. You say with me, God is good. All the time. That's why we say this, because for God's children, He's always good. Now, the last thing I see in this passage God intends to give you a future filled with hope. Listen, there's only a few things in life you cannot live with. You can't live without water. You cannot live without food forever. And here's, the, here's another thing. You can't live without hope. You will not live without hope. If you lose hope, you die, yet walk. You're a living dead person if you lose hope. Hope is a confident expectation of good in regards to the future. Hope is when you wake up, you say, I'm excited about what's coming down the road. And every believer ought to be able to say that. I am excited about what is coming down the road. Satan wants your hope. He wants to steal your faith and your hope away from you so that you wake up in despair as a person. There's no hope. There's no future. There's no path for me to take that can fix these things. And the devil is a liar because where there is God... There is hope, and he's called the God of all hope. God wants you to have hope, and here's what he says. I am so good, and my thoughts towards you are good, so good that I've got a future for you, and that future ought to give you hope. But oh, I'll tell you, I see people all the time 
who have lost their hope, and they are walking dead people. They've lost their hope. That's how people kill themselves. That's how people check out of life. You go downtown or you go to the tent city here in Fort Worth where all those homeless people are, and you ask them, how did you end up this way? Because what you'll find out there is you'll find former doctors, you'll find former lawyers, you'll find former professionals. They're not all mentally ill. They're not all um, afflicted in that manner. Something happened, and that person lost their hope. And Satan stole it away. They have nothing to live for. They'll tell you, alcohol or drugs got a hold of my life. And I'm a slave to it. I've lost my family, lost my money, lost my profession, lost everything. And now there's no more hope for me. But I say to them, yes, there is. There is hope for you. God can pick you up dust you off, breathe fresh life into you, set you free and real and and show you that your destiny did not go away. Several years ago, a submarine sank. True story. With all of its crew, it sank off the Atlantic coast of North America. When the vessel was eventually located, divers were sent down to assess the damage and the possibility of just salvaging the wreck. But as they neared the hull of the vessel, they were surprised to hear the pounding of a message in Morse code. The message was a frantic question beating against the walls of this underwater tomb. And it said this, is there hope? Is there hope? And of course, hope had arrived and they were rescued. But all around us, church, there are people sending messages. Is there hope? Is there hope? Is there hope for me? Can I be delivered from this underwater tomb? Can I be delivered of these drugs? Can I be delivered of this marriage crisis? Can I be delivered? Can I be helped? Is there any help for me with all the mistakes that I have made? I'm underwater. I'm in a tomb. I'm sending out a distress signal. Is there hope? And I say to you, Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you a future and to give you a hope. Yes, there is hope for you. Look up. There is hope. And by the power of the Spirit, He can set you free and change your life. Can we stand up together today? You know, everywhere I go, I hear that little message, is there hope? Is there hope? Is there really hope? And I tell you, if I didn't believe that, I would never preach another Sunday. But there is hope. Father, we just thank you that Mary was delivered from the fear of the supernatural. We know she was delivered because of what she said when Gabriel was about to depart. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. May everything you have said about me come true. You know, right now, wherever you are in life, God is thinking about you. And he's thinking good things. 
And he's got a hope for your future. Right now, maybe you're like those sailors sending the signal and you're underwater. Would you just lift up your faith right now towards God and say, Lord, today I'm going to let you give me hope. I receive your hope in the name of Jesus. If this was for you today, I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand and say, Pastor, I've had a fear of the supernatural. I've been afraid, nervous about what God might do to me, through me, in my life. But I want to yield to him right now. Could you lift your hand right now and say, I'm willing to let God do what God wants to do. Real high, many, many hands all over this place. All over this place. I want you to do something right now. I'm going to ask you, I feel impressed to do this. I want you to slip out and come and stand right here in front of me. I want to pray with you. I feel the impression of the Spirit of God to do this. I want you to come out and I want to pray for you right now. Because God's got incredible things for your life. Don't let fear keep you from them. If you raise your hand, I want you to come down right now. Just slip out and come. We're going to wait for you. We're going to wait for you. Come on. And let's go ahead and sing, Joe. There is a fountain filled with blood.